Great to see all of you. Some of you came in while the lights were up. We're uh, glad you made it this morning. Uh, for those of you who didn't make it and you're listening online, uh, we're, we know you're there. We're glad that you're taking some time. Uh, we are kind of in a series, so if you missed some of the other parts, you can go back and listen to them online. If you weren't here last week, we had a gal named Brenda, a girl I went to Bible school with like 20-something years ago. Um, she apparently didn't remember that we went to school together, I heard, but... Uh, we did. I was just this punk kid back in, that, in those days, but um, what a fantastic, um, uh, fantastic message. So if you didn't have a chance to hear that, you can find that on our Facebook page or our website. I'd encourage you to go listen to it. Really, really good stuff. Uh, just want to jump right in this morning uh, to where we've been. We've been talking about this topic of living our life on mission, the mission that Jesus uh, gave to his disciples. He said, I'm going to go build a church. I'm going to build my church, but I want you guys to go and make disciples. Uh, that's the mission I'm giving you. That, this is not like a, if you choose to accept it. It's, this, is what, this is what followers of Jesus are supposed to do. Be a disciple and go make more disciples. And so Paul, a guy who, um, who met Jesus shortly after the, um, Jesus uh, had died and rose from the dead and went to heaven, Paul had his vision of Jesus and became one of Jesus' followers. He met with some of the other followers as well and he became a full-fledged disciple. He was living his life for Christ. And as a result, he went all over the place, the known world, the Roman Empire. He would share the gospel, the good news with people. And others would believe, and, and they would start these little things called churches, these little gatherings of people. And then he would head on to another place to start a new one. And he would write letters back to those, to those disciples, those, those ones who became followers of Jesus. And it's so great that he wrote those letters because they've been preserved over time translated into our language, and we have them with us this morning. So the chance to read some, some ancient, ancient literature that's just still life-changing today, that in and of itself is pretty amazing. So Paul wrote a letter to this group of followers in Greece. Uh, the town or the city that they lived in was called Ephesus, and you may be familiar with the book of Ephesians if you've been in church for any number, uh, length of time. But uh, as Paul was writing to them, he basically, and to other, other churches as well, he said similar things. He said, I want you to look around at this group of people and realize that they're a body. They, they're, they're different in function. They might appear differently, but they're meant to work together. And he said, it's so, so important that the body of Christ, the church, actually works together. And he said, God put people into the church to be, for their role to be encouraging others. But the whole thing is supposed to be moving and following Christ and, and making disciples. And so Ephesians 4.16 is the verse we're going to look at today. Uh, we're going to be covering this over the next couple of weeks. So um, he says to, um, he says to, the, to the Ephesian um, disciples, after in this kind of the end of his little thought, he says he, which is Christ, makes the whole body, the whole church, fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. Every person has a part to play. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body's healthy and growing and full of love. Real simple thoughts. If you need just, you know, three thoughts. Church is supposed to be connected. Connected. You know, if, your, if your arm gets disconnected from your body, it's kind of useless, right? And so, and you're hindered as well. He says it's got to be connected, real, this close connection. It's got to be involved and it's got to be growing. And when we say the church, we don't mean like the, this organization. We mean the people, the people sitting around you to be connected uh, to one another in authentic relationships where you really know one another, where um, we are supposed to be involved in one another's lives. We're look at that more next week. You're like, I, I just kind of like, just like to go and sit there and then leave after an hour. 
to nobody. Uh, he's saying, listen, you're not only to be connected and that they know you, but you're supposed to be involved in their lives. And then the last thing is growing as followers of Jesus. And so this morning, full disclosure, I just want to give you a heads up on what I'm actually trying to accomplish over the next few weeks. So there, there's no question about that. I do have an agenda uh, over the next couple of weeks, and it's this. I simply want every person here and those listening online or those who hear this, wherever down the road, to consider taking an intentional step in your life in regards to faith. That each and every person would take an intentional step. Some of you are like, ah, maybe I'm growing. I don't know if I'm growing. I hope I'm growing. I just want you to on purpose take a step this morning in your life as it relates to faith intentionally. And second part of that, I just want to make that as easy as possible for you to do that. And so over the next couple of weeks, we'll be talking about this, this uh, opportunity to take an intentional step. And I'm not going to be able to cover everything this morning, so we're just going to cover one of the things, that, you know, as far as being connected, being involved, being growing. I just want to focus on that idea of being connected. I listened to a podcast a couple of weeks ago by, um, from Andy Stanley talking about a similar thing and some of the thoughts that I'm going to share with you this morning I learned from there. And so just jumping right in, we all want to be known for something. We all want to be known for something. I don't know if you think about that. Maybe you think about that way too much. You know, you're like, this is what I want to be known for. But if you just stop for a moment and think, hmm, what do I want to be known for? Uh, I'll show you a picture of Donald Trump for a minute. What, do you, what does Donald Trump want to be known for? What, what does he want to be known for? Maybe. <laughs> Firing people. Um, there's a lot of things, you know, but, but a slogan on his hat. You know, he wants to be known as the person who made America great again. That's what he wants to be known for. He, that may not be the case of what he's actually going to be known for. We don't know how he's going to do. But, the, but the, he's also known for a whole lot of other things, and some of them you can't even say in church, not things that he wanted to be known for. But we know that he wanted to be known for, for this slogan. What about you? What do you want to be known for? Maybe, and, and there can be lots of things. When I think about, you know, myself, I'd like to be known for being a good father. I would like that to be said of me. I would like to be known as like, man, he was a great husband. I hope my wife can say that about me. You know, I hope that I could be, that it would be said that, yeah, he's a good leader or that he was a great example to follow. Those are all the things that I'd want to be known for. But there's another side of the coin. There's the other side of the coin of things maybe you say, hey, I don't want to be known for. How many of you have some things in your life you're like, yeah, I, I'm glad people don't know about that because I don't want to be known for that. Uh, we went on a fishing trip. I shared this a couple of weeks ago that at the, this great fishing trip and coming home, I was really hoping that, you know, people would remember me for being like a great fisherman, a fun, you know, guy to have in your boat and whatever else. But what do they remember and keep reminding me of? It's not rocket science, right? That's the one statement where I let my lips get away from me is the one thing that, that I'm remembered for from that fishing trip, that one small sample of life. And so there's things in our lives and, and things that, you know, you don't want to be known for. You got some regrettable moments, you know, the things you didn't post on Instagram, you know, the, the day you woke up and you had no idea where you were or how you got there. Uh, those don't make it on Instagram unless your buddies were there and took pictures of it. But, you know, there's, there's those things we look at like, I don't want to be known for that. I don't want to be known for the failures in my life. But one of the things that when we look at these are the things I want to be known for. There's sometimes a gap between what I want to be known for and who I really am today. Because we're, we're, we're all on this journey of this is what I want to be, but there's also the reality of this is who I really am. And that gap, that gap in between sometimes causes us to try and manage that gap. 
Because we want people to think something, and so we try and manage that, that gap between who I really am and who I want them to think I am. And uh, you see it even uh, in the news, you know, this week we have our politicians, Kathleen Wynne, Patrick Brown, uh, at odds with one another. And it, it just almost reminded me of my kids, you know, where the one kid says something to the other and like, that's not true, you take it back. You know, and they get back at each other, right? And it's kind of this same thing, you know. You take it back or I'll sue you. I'm not taking anything about that. And she's like, you better, you know, I'll give you six months to take it back. Why? Because I don't want to be known for that. I don't want it to be in the papers that this is what Kathleen Wynne was known for. And uh, it's the same thing that we deal with every one of us on some level. You know, whether it's at work or somewhere, we, we have this thought of like, I don't want to be known for that. And so we try and manage that image. Uh, you know, when you're, when you're a kid, some of you still do. Yes, full, it's fine. You know, it's, it's a safe place. Um, but, uh, you know, when I look at my, uh, you know, the imaginary friends, you know, as a kid, my kids had, they have imaginary friends. And it's just hilarious because we sit and we, you know, we listen. And all of a sudden they're like, yeah, my imaginary friend wants to go play this. And like, and the other kid, my, my other son, Maddox, is like, I don't want to play that. He's like, fine. Finn goes off, plays his imaginary friend. And as I talk to them, I realize, you know, that they say the best part of their imaginary friends is that they'll play the games that, that they want them to play, and they'll play at any time. They'll talk when they need to and not speak when they're not, and they're always best buddies, right? The imaginary friend is always there and amazing for them. But there's only one problem. Well, every once in a while, the imaginary friend is also used as when they get in trouble, my imaginary friend told me to do it, right? So <laughs> we're praying about that one. I don't know what that is. But, but the, the imaginary friend is like this amazing, this amazing person. There's only one problem is that the imaginary friend isn't really real. You know, it's this great, the best friend, but they're not very real. And so we, you know, we ask the question, you know, what if, um, if you had an imaginary friend as children, but how many of you have imaginary friends now? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, you see, these few are the brave ones, maybe, that say, hey, this is whatever. But you know what, I wonder, I wonder if you've ever really thought about that. Because I think many of us have imaginary friends and we don't even realize it. We have friends, people, real people, that we hang out with that we don't really know. We'd call them our friends, but we don't really know what their, what their lives are really all about. You know, maybe you've had it where you've got a friend that you've hung out with for years, and then after so many years, you find out that they struggle with an addiction. Like, wow, I had no idea they were a closet smoker. I had no idea that they were a closet drinker. I had no idea that they, that they spent all their money at the casino. I had no idea. But we are friends. Maybe you've had friends that, you know, they're, they're wrestling with suicidal thoughts. You know how I know that people have imaginary friends? Because afterwards, they always say, I never saw it coming. Friends that didn't really know the other person. Maybe you've been friends with a couple who are one fight away from divorce, but you have no idea. Why? Because there's this, there's this persona of what we want people to know about us, and really, they, they're, they're just imaginary friends. You know, for us, maybe we are the imaginary friend, and maybe you're sitting here this morning, and you sit here, and it's like life's all polished, and you got everybody kind of thinking that it's all, you, you've got it all together, but you're managing your image, desperately managing your image. Andy Stanley said it this way, when we manage our image, we become imaginary. See, the, the thing is, it's not the real us. The problem with managing our image is we actually stop growing. The real part of us stops growing when we're, when we're so focused on making sure everybody thinks we're something. We don't actually do something about who we really are. And it's, uh, the, the, the fact is that we stop getting better. And the, the second thought is it's not the real you. See, we want people to know us and like us, but if they only know our image of us, they don't actually like the real you. And some of you, nobody really likes you. 
I know that's bad to say, but it's because they don't, they don't really know you. Nobody really knows you. We have this epidemic of loneliness because there's, there's this thing in us that wants to be known, and yet it's so, so rare. You know, we want people to like us, but we're not sure if they do, so we put this persona out there, this image out there, and we're all tempted to do it. And can I tell you somebody who's really tempted to do that? Pastors. Pastors are really tempted to, to make sure that, that we pretend, I guess, to make up for that gap sometimes that we feel uh, is there. So just, just to be totally honest with you, what happens with pastors, I'm so glad it doesn't happen here, and it's one of the reasons why I, I, I always insist, don't call me pastor as if that's some title uh, above somebody else. Because what happens too often is pastors get called by these titles, they get pedestalized, and then once they're up there, they, think, they, they begin to believe that they actually are better than the other person. They actually believe that they're up on that pedestal looking down at others. And, and that's a dangerous place to be because you know what? There's no way they can ever stay in that place of, hey, I am, I actually am everything that you think I am. But the thing is, the reason why it happens is because you probably, you probably want to think of pastors as having it all together. You know, you, 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 I'm not blaming anybody here, but that's kind of the way. We want, we want to think that, hey, that, those guys, they, they must have it all together. Because if I came to you this morning and said, we're going to start a new series. We're going to be talking about self-control and overcoming addiction. And just before I start that, I'd like to thank the elders for picking me up last night at the bars. I had too many drinks, and I could not get myself home. You'd be like, uh, we don't want to know that, right? Uh, don't, just don't tell us that. We think you're this. Um, just whatever. And so there's that temptation to pretend. I was sitting around a, a circle of, a little while ago with a couple of guys, and we were chatting. And, and as we were talking, we were talking about some of the doubts we have about Scripture and some, some of the times that we think and we wrestle with some of these things. It's not necessarily that I don't believe, but we, we got these wonderings, you know, like, what is that? You know, what do you guys think about that? And as we began to share some of my wonderings, one of the guys around the circle said, hey, you probably shouldn't say stuff like that. You know, you, you probably can't say stuff like that in your position as a pastor because half the church will leave if you said that from the pulpit. And I'm like, yeah, it's true. It's probably true that that pressure is on there thinking, man, I shouldn't, shouldn't maybe say some of those things. But you know what? Where, where's, the, where's the place to be really known? Where's the opportunity for people to be really known? Do people know the real me? Do people know the real you? Too many pastors, but too many people don't have a place where people actually really know them, and yet there's something on the inside of us that wants to be known. You know, part of what the church is supposed to do is to be that, but it's really difficult for that to happen in big groups like this. You know, we're not going to just pass the mic around and say, okay, here, tell us all your dirtiest, darkest sins, and, you know, we're going we're gonna to restore you, right? But that doesn't happen, right? We're gonna, it, we just... We just don't do that in big groups. But it does happen sometimes. It does happen in smaller places. And so I've asked a friend of mine a couple of weeks ago, we were sitting together around a campfire, and we experienced this powerful moment of what can happen in a circle. And I'm going to ask Derek Knight to come and share that. So, Thanks, Mark. So I might be one of these imaginary friends you guys have that just, uh, you know me as Derek, who sits back there where Ruben is in the sound booth. Maybe I make the sound too loud. Maybe... Uh, Maybe you only know me as Derek, who has a beautiful wife and three kids who run around during practice. But, uh, but uh, that night at the campfire, I let an, another piece of myself be known. And so uh, Mark asked me to come up here and tell you guys about, a little bit about, uh, about what I spoke about, but, uh, but also um, what made that campfire special to, uh, to make that a safe place. And what, what he's really asking is, what made that circle of believers the church that God had intended, Right? Um, what made that a place to be intimate and, and encouraging and growing together? 
And, uh, and so what, what made me brave enough to share uh, an intimate part of myself? And, and the truth is that uh, I wasn't brave first. It was Matt Rosan. He's the handsome guy who sits up at the keyboard here. Um, Matt shared a little bit about himself first, and it gave me the courage to share about myself. So let me explain. So you guys may find yourself in a circle, um, maybe at work or in a restaurant or something, and, and what would happen if you shared something, some detail about yourself? What if you told them that you were uh, struggling with pornography or that your marriage was crumbling? Would they shrug it off? Would they change the subject? Would they laugh? Or would they stop and pray with you? Because this is really like a cautionary tale about using wisdom about who you surround yourself with. But it's also a victory story about what happens when it goes right. And this night it went right because Matt, Matt had just learned the night before that he had cancer. And we were all sitting around the campfire talking about things that really don't matter, like who had the biggest fish or who was going to have to be sleeping next to someone who snores a lot. But I, I can only imagine that for, for Matt, that it sounded a lot like, like the Charlie Brown teacher. Womp, 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 cancer. Womp, 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 cancer. Cancer. And I imagine that he, can, he decided he didn't want to hold it alone anymore, which I congratulate him on, because that was the first step. He decided that he wanted to be known. He wanted to be honest. And step two was our reaction because everybody waited patiently for him to talk it all out. And we listened, and we nodded, and we smiled with encouragement. And when it was time, we offered stories of triumph over cancer and offered him that we would continue to talk about it if he wanted to. And then we prayed. You see, what occurred for Matt and seeing that is actually what gave me the courage to be brave. It was the reaction of the crowd that made it safe and made it known that it was even encouraged to talk so Mark asked me to also to come up here and tell you about what I shared that night. So I, was, I didn't grow up in a Christian household, and, and in fact, I didn't even go looking for God until I was in my 20s, although I always believed there was a God, and, and sometimes I even had encounters. And, and really, I was doing just fine. I didn't really want God, other than every once in a while, he bailed me out of a sticky situation, but I was doing just fine. I mean, I was addicted to cocaine and ecstasy, and I was lustful, and, a, and truth is, I was really a mess, and I was sad, and I was looking for happiness, and I wasn't able to find it. And the truth is that I was kind of an entitled little brat to my God because I blamed Him for all those things were go, that were going wrong in my life because there is a consequence for sin, and it's not like, it's not like when a child says, hits their sibling and you give them a consequence, the consequence of this sin is like touching a hot boiling pot, whereas God tells you there's a consequence of that sin and don't touch the pot because the pot is the consequence. I had consequences for my sin and I, I made a mess of things. The story that I was telling that night was, was when I was basically at my lowest and I was sad and I was angry and it was about 11.30 at night, and I was sitting in my parents' living room, and uh, they were in bed, and it was dark out, 11.30 at night, um, and I was just sitting there on the couch, and I was so mad at God for all the things He had done to ruin my life, 
And I started, I started actually out loud having an argument with God. I, I was saying, God, why are you picking on me? What did I do to deserve your vengeance? Why are you doing this to me? Like, I'm not afraid of you. Show yourself. Because, like, right now, right here, I want you to come and answer for what you're doing to me. And I was so mad. Can you imagine just sitting there yelling out loud to God? And, and finally, I, I just said, if you were here for me, you would show up right now. And I waited. And I actually believed he was going to show up. But he didn't. And after a moment, I wept. And I said, see, you're never here for me. And in frustration, I flicked the television on. And this was more than 10 years ago, so televisions were supposed to warm up, but this didn't warm up. It just turned on instantly, and it was David Letterman looking directly into my eyes, not into the camera, and he said, I'm here for you. <laughs> and I said, what? <laughs> and he replied, I said, I'm here for you. And I flicked the television off. <laughs> and I thought, did everyone, in the, did everyone else in the world just see that happen? Did he actually just say that? Like, is that something that God orchestrated for, for my benefit? Or, or is it a vision that was created for my benefit? And does it really matter? Because either way, it was for my benefit. And God didn't show up in my living room, but he sent message he told me he was here for, here for me. And so that night I quit drinking, quit doing drugs. And I started jogging instead. I decided that God told me he was here for me. And for some reason, I wasn't able, he wasn't able to see me, wasn't able to come and find me. So I was going to go find him. So I started jogging. About a week later, I was jogging down the beach, and uh, I ran into somebody that I, I knew casually, and uh, so I went over to, to, to talk to him. I decided that since God had orchestrated this event, uh, event with David Letterman, that he must be orchestrating everything in my life, and I started to be aware of all those times where he had involved himself. So I decided I was just going to be open to what God was producing for my life, so I went up to this person, I barely, like, I knew a little bit casually and uh, decided I was just going to talk to him. Well, he was there with one of uh, his friends, her name was Heather, and she came over to me and said, hi, I'm Heather, where are you going to go when you die? <laughs> and, and in the past, my anger and my sin made this a really offensive thing to hear. But now that I was looking for God, I was almost eager to hear it. And so when she said it, I just laughed and thought to myself, this is that path that God has created for me. So I laughed and just said, I don't know. Maybe you can tell me. And she did. She told me all about Jesus and how Jesus is the connection. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And that is the thing that I was missing to help me find God. So while I was, while I was jogging, I... Uh, I decided to, to, to look for him in everywhere. And one of these, my, my wife thinks this is really dorky whenever I say this, but one of the things that made God most real to me was that I would pay attention to the blades of grass 
and how many different colors of green there are. Like, have you ever noticed how many different colors of green there are? What an awesome God. And this is the God who came and told me he was here for me. And look, at he made this wonderful nature with all these colors of green, and he's here for me. And so, so I was looking for him. And I spent about six months learning everything I could about this Jesus character and about the connection that he has to, and how, how I could find that. And, and so it was about six months later that uh, I, I found myself in a Tim Hortons Wendy's in Canesville with my friend Greg. We were on our way to a Blue Jays game, and it was around lunch hour, and it was, it was very busy in this restaurant. And, and just like I imagine it was for Matt, Greg was talking, and all I was, all I was thinking was, womp, 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 womp. I think I'm ready. Like, I think I'm ready. This God who did all this to prove he loves me. And if he did all this to love me, this is somebody I can trust my heart with. This is somebody I can trust my life with. So Greg was talking, and I, and I don't know for how long, but I, eventually I just interrupted him and said, Greg, first of all, I haven't heard a thing that you have said, and I am sorry for that. But I think I'm ready to give my heart to Jesus and he said, oh, uh, yeah, right, like right now? Yeah, totally. Uh, do you want me to just, do you want me to just start praying and then you can, you can pray, you know, when you're ready? And I said, yeah. And so right there in the middle of this Tim Hortons in Canesville, we started praying. And Greg was praying and, and he was saying all the things he's supposed to say. And, and, uh, and I was just thinking to myself, gosh, this is a busy restaurant there are sure are a lot of people here. I can hear everybody, like I just heard that lady's order. I wonder if I look foolish. Like, I wonder if they know what I'm doing. I'm sitting here with my head down and my eyes closed, and people are walking by, brushing up against me and my table. Maybe this wasn't the right time. Maybe this wasn't the right place. But then something amazing happened. This God who is here for me, I felt it. And I saw it with my mind's eye. Maybe as many as 15 angels surrounded me. And they were shoulder to shoulder. And suddenly the sound of the restaurant faded away. I couldn't hear it anymore. It was muffled behind the sound of their muscular bodies. And they were cheering for me. So I began to pray, and I prayed all the things that I remembered I was supposed to pray. And I was just saying everything I had been taught or rehearsed or practiced, and, and suddenly I just couldn't talk fast enough, and it was just pouring out. And I was just giving it all away, and God was just taking it. And it felt so clean and so fresh and so new. And I just knew right then that everything was going to be different. And it was. So now I've been brave, just like Matt was brave. And this was step one. And so step two is your reaction to this. Because that's what's going to show the rest of these people whether this is a the kind of church that God desired and created. So I want to leave you, thank you. 
I, I want to leave you with these two thoughts. And, uh, and one was a lesson that I learned, which is that God is here for me, and He's here for you, and He's always been here. He's always been here for you. And two, if you look for Him, you will see evidence of His fingerprints in every blade of grass. So thank you, guys. Yeah, you go on a manly fishing trip thinking you're talking about manly stuff, and then this happens, right? And I love it because that's so, so rare. You know, we sat and chatted till like one in the morning, multiple nights in a row, just as guys around that circle began to share who they really are. Because every once in a while, you find real people, people willing to be authentic and willing to be real. And there's something about that that just like draws you in. And for you, maybe, maybe you never found that at church. Maybe your experience has been like, I go to church and nobody's real there. Like, I, I don't want to be around those people because they're all fake. And you've never had the chance to experience, you know, what it's like to be around real people. And, you know, when you find them, it's like, you know, when people are joining support groups and stuff, they find people who are willing to be real. And they're like, man, the connections with those people are so close. For some, they're like, I want to, you know, they want to get married to these people from their support group because we understand each other, right? And it's like, I know you're screwed up and I'm screwed up. Let's get married. It'll get better, right? Like, that's, that's, not, that's not how that works. But why do we feel so strongly about that? Because somebody knows us and it was okay. And there's something really, really powerful about that. We we want to be known for something, but what we really need is to be known by someone. What we want to be known is known for something, but what we really need is to be known by someone. You know, the truth is, there's a real me in, in every seat here today. You know, there's people around here, you know, your marriages are in trouble, but nobody knows. Some of you here, you're struggling with addiction, but no one really knows. Some of you have parenting nightmares, and you just like, you know, you drove all the way here screaming at the kids in the minivan, and you get out, and you're like, what on the church smile? We'll finish this later. <laughs> yeah. Real, you know, you've been there, right? Yeah. Just real people. The thing is, you know, if I was to tell you there's this inner desire in every one of us to be known, but not just known, to be accepted for who we are and to be loved, and you know, the iPhone 10 just came out this week, and uh, it's, gonna, it's expensive, but it's going to be one of those things that sells for one of these reasons, and it's the fact that it uses facial recognition to turn itself on. So it's like the phone that knows you. If nobody else knows you, the phone does. You know, and if no one else likes you, well, the phone does. The phone doesn't judge you. It wakes up like, wow, you had too much to drink. We're not talking. No, it's just like, yeah, hey, it's you. You know, I accept you for who you are. You know, for those of you old enough to remember a show called Cheers, I just remember the theme song. I never watched the episodes, but you would also know it fits this morning that, you know, that it's like sometimes you want to go where? Hey, <laughs> right? What else? They're always glad you came and where troubles are all the same. What if I told you that God actually designed the church to be like that place? Cheers seems to be like the bar was the place, but God's like, that's, why does everybody want that? Because that's actually what the, what the church was designed to be. And to be brutally honest, the church as we do it this way doesn't really feel like that all the time. You know how I know? Because I'm just going to talk about you for a minute. Because, you know, for those of you here, you're like, you know, you want to go where everybody knows your name. But you don't know everybody's name here. Anybody want to take a test? I'll just hand you the mic. You'll just point to people. You tell me their names. <laughs> no one? Do you know what that also says is that everybody here doesn't know your name? Well, of course, because it's a bigger crowd. I don't even know all your names. You know, and they say, well, we're gl everybody's glad you came. Can I be honest that not everybody's glad you came? 
I, I know this because sometimes we'll just, it's the other way around. Let's, let's do it from the other side. You're not always glad that everyone else came, right? Sister sings too loud right behind you. You're just like, oh, I wish she wasn't here today. You know, brother gives too much information during the announcements. Oh, I wish he wasn't here today. You know, brother B.O. always has to sit right beside me, you know? Sister hits on me all the time. Why is she always here when I'm here, right? I know, and those are the only ones that you guys have told me. But uh, yeah. I, I'm just saying, I'm just saying that, that, that the proof is that it doesn't always work like this. Why? Because in these big groups of people, you didn't find your people, but you need to. You know, and that's the thing about being real with people is you're not supposed to be real with, every, with this whole group. Like, I like how Derek said that. It's this thing of, don't, you know, just don't go and tell everybody the, the stuff that's going on in your lives because you may bear the, the, the burden of um, their responses that you didn't want. It's like, how come the church is like, you know, so, so hypocritical? I just want to be loved. And we have this thought that we want to be known. We want to be loved. And the church was supposed to be. We're supposed to know one another, be connected to one another, care for one another, love one another, bear each other's burdens. And, you know, love, love's not like, oh, you know what? You come in, it's like, hey, man, you know, uh, I've been like, uh, I've, been, I've been sober all week, but I'm here today. And, and you're like, yeah, that's been the same thing for weeks. You know, or the, this guy, I remember at Sweets Corners, uh, Wes would share the story, this guy prayed, and every prayer meeting was the same thing. Every week, Father, you know, Lord, forgive me. I've been caught in a web of sin again this week. And the next week, Father, forgive me. I've been caught in that web of sin again. Father, forgive me. I've been caught in that web of sin. And finally, one of the other people prayed, dear Lord, please kill that spider. You know, it's a, uh, you know, wanting them to take steps forward, right? And that's the same thing for us. You know, we, we as love is like people that have your back. You know, you want, your, you want people around you that got your back. You know, you're going through something, they're there with you. But you, what you also need is people who get up in your face. You know, where people say, listen, I see you going down the wrong path and I am concerned for you and I'm hoping that you'll change your mind. But you know what happens? If they don't have your back, you don't take it when they get up in your face. That's when you're like, oh, they're just judgmental. You know why? Because it doesn't happen in rows. It doesn't happen like this. And this is never what Jesus designed it to be. He designed us to be in circles, whereas you sit around a circle and connect with people, you know all their names because there's only 10 of them. You know, and you're glad they came because you're glad they're there for you as you are there for them. You're excited about the fact of you know their burdens and what they're going through, and you know how to help them. And you're, it's like when they're going through tough stuff, you know, you're cooking meals for them. You know, with Matt sharing around the story, I don't know how many people have gone to visit him since then who are around that circle. Why? Because they were around that circle. See, you, some of you are desperate for that, and you think you're going to find it in rows, but you won't. And I want to challenge you this morning that it's what Jesus did for each and every one of us. He loves you. If you don't know that, he loves you. Some of you think, i got to get my life all straightened out first. You don't. He loves you just the way you are. He loves you and accepts you, but he loves you enough not to leave you there. He moves in and begins to change stuff in your life and transform your life. You know how he does it? He connects you with other people around whose lives are being transformed. And as you guys work together, your lives become more like him. And his body functions the way it was supposed to, where people are loving one another, forgiving one another, accepting one another. It's what he wants to do through your life. But see, church, the way it's happened to find itself in this culture and this, this time frame is that we sit in rows and listen to a guy at the front. And though I do my best, you'll remember maybe 30 seconds of this. So my challenge for you is it was at the very beginning was this, that you would take an intentional step, an intentional step forwards in relation to, in your life and how it relates to faith. Maybe for you, and, and I just want to maybe throw the slide up there at the thing. We showed and we talked about a bunch of groups. Can I tell you that all of these groups are designed to be circles? 
Many, some of them more uh, than others, but this idea of being part of a circle. And I want to challenge you to take, just be intentional this morning about saying, you know what, I'm going to take a step towards being a, a, a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Christ that's going to be the church that he designed it to be and be a part of a circle. Can I tell you that your imaginary self doesn't have time for this, but your real self's probably screaming for it. You know, the person you portray probably doesn't have time to go and be a part of a group, but the real you is like, man, I just need somebody to know what's really going on in my life. Someone who's going to know, accept, love, and care. So the opportunity is this. Maybe for you, it's starting point. You're like, I don't even know if I believe this thing, but I feel something at this church. I don't know what it is. Starting point would be the one for you. And I would encourage you just to say, you know, to, to take a look at this list and, I, and to grab out your cell phone. Maybe you already have your cell phone out because you just got bored 15 minutes ago and you're playing Angry Birds or whatever, Candy Crush, <laughs> catching up on Facebook, I don't know. But take your phone and use it for good for a moment. And, and just simply text the number, the first number of one of these groups, so that number up there, and now you have my cell phone number if you didn't have it before. You know, uh, 905, oh, I'm not going to say it because it's online. But uh, you can, <laughs> to text the number. You're not joining anything. You're simply going to be given some more information on how you could connect with a circle because you know what? My job as much as I love doing this, as much as I enjoy being a part of celebrating with you guys during the week, my job is to equip you to be the best follower of Jesus you can be because there's people in your circle who are desperate for somebody who's going to be able to show them who Jesus is and what his love is like. And for some, it's this opportunity to really take steps and grow and for the first time to take steps towards being known. There's other benefits to group. Maybe you're like after this week, you're like, I, I don't know if that's the thing. We'll, we'll, we'll talk to you next week. But this morning, there's different styles of group based on different types of things. Obviously, if you're a man, don't text me about a woman's group. You know, there's certain things we've got set up for certain, for certain reasons. But youth, you know, young adults, adults, men, women, to be a part of saying, you know what? I want to know more about what it's like to be a follower of Jesus. I really want to grow in my faith. Would you take a moment to send a text? And for some of you here this morning, maybe for you, it was Derek, Derek's story. Last night we had that. People, it was just what, as he shared, and you're like, the, the, the words, God is for me, it's like the first time you've heard that. You thought, you know, that God was like angry at you. You thought that God was out to get you. Can I tell you something? He loves you. He loves you, and he wants relationship with you. He's not willing to give you rules, and when you break them, smack you over the head. It's not what he wants. He's a good, good father that wants relationship with you, and he paid a dear price for that. He sent his son to do it for you, to, to, to pay for sin for you, so you don't have to try and get your life figured out. But he's just saying, hey, would you come? Would you just allow me to love you? Would you join in relationship with me? Would you allow me to forgive you? Would you allow me to be the master of your life instead of you? Because you mess it up, but I've got your best in mind. You can respond to that this morning. As simple as it was, like Derek said that day, just saying, God, here's, what it, here's what's on my heart. It wasn't some special prayer. It was just an honest prayer. And you can do that today, and I encourage you to. Can we pray? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the examples that you've shown us. Thank you for the amazing things you've done in our lives. Thank you for changing our lives. Thank you for changing Derek's life and for the, just the, the courage that you gave him to share his story today, to share a part of himself with us. Lord, help us to find our people. Help us to find our circle, the group that we can do life with and uh, be the kingdom with and see uh, others uh, just grow as a result of being a part of that. I just pray for every person in this place as they leave here that that they would know that they don't leave you, that you're with them wherever they go and that you continue to work in their lives for their good and for your glory, we pray. Amen.